Welcome to the Supply Chain Pioneers Podcast, where we highlight industry leaders on the forefront of innovation and technology in planning, procurement, and logistics. Hosted by your supply chain pro to know, Ulf Venn. My name is Sam Bailey, and I think that I saw a sense of adventure in joining a supply chain company, and it does facilitate growth. There's also a downside to it, and it can be exhausting. So I, in November of 2021, got sick. And in some cases, I was getting a lot of support from doctors. In other cases, I was kind of getting dismissed by doctors and ignored. It really changed who I am and the way that I see the world and the work that I'm doing now. So it was a very transformational time in my life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Supply Chain Pioneers. And with me today, I have my good friend, Sam Daly. Ulf, it's excellent to be with you. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, it's been a long time since we've talked, so I'm excited to reconnect and share some updates. Yes, and I'm also super excited. But before we share updates, let's maybe start with a first quick introduction. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Sam Daly. I'm a former coworker of Ulf's. We worked together for three years at Everstream Analytics. For that, I have a background in consulting and in investing. I worked at a venture capital company before Everstream that was the primary funder of Everstream. And when that investment happened, I went over to work at Everstream for three years. Outside of that, I live in New York City in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I am a big outdoorsman. I love hiking. I love fishing. I'm also big into mindfulness. So I practice a lot of yoga, a lot of meditations. I did my first ever week-long silent meditation retreat earlier this year, which I really enjoyed and will certainly be doing again. I am engaged. I have a fiance and I'll be getting married next year, which is exciting. And I'm a recent uncle. My nephew was born last May. He's about a month and almost, uh, sorry, a year and almost a half old. And I think that's that's about it for the quick Sam Daly in a nutshell. Well, that's good. And congratulations on you being an uncle and also getting married very soon. Thank you. Let's talk about your history. Okay. Going from consulting law firms to then an investment group, and then you decided to join the supply chain side by, by joining Everstream Analytics. What attracted you to join a supply chain solutions company? It's a good question. I think it was a combination of factors at the time for me. The first is that I was looking for an adventure of sorts, working in consulting companies and finance companies, I really enjoyed the work, but there was a certain routine to them. They're both very old industries and they have very set ways of working. And I think that I saw a sense of adventure in joining a supply chain company, especially a startup company, one that was based at the time in Germany. I hadn't ever traveled internationally. So part of it was me looking for a new adventure in my career, something that I could learn a lot from. And I really had a sense that I wanted to get into the operations of a company and really learn how businesses were built and how they operated. As I was working at a finance company and investing in businesses, I felt a little self-conscious the whole time or insecure that I didn't really understand the businesses that I was investing in. And it felt to me like a supply chain company was the ultimate opportunity, in a sense, to learn how businesses really work. So it was a combination of those sorts of things. I was looking for adventure. I wanted to learn more about businesses and how they operated. And then lastly, I... I wanted something that I thought had a lot of potential for me to grow and for the business to grow. And the 
company I was at at the time was investing in a lot of different businesses. So there were a lot of options, but the supply chain opportunity to me and to the whole firm at the time seemed the most exciting and like it had the most potential for growth for the business. And for me personally, I thought that would lead to the most growth for me. So it was a combination of those sorts of things. I wanted a challenge, an adventure, something big. And supply chain was by far the number one thing that that checked all of those boxes for me. You came with a different background, but then you came into a supply chain world and you, you were able to see things happening. What did you find very different from things you have experienced professionally in the past, looking at supply chain management and the way things run? There were two big adjustments for me. One was, it was also my first time working at a startup company, a smaller company with less history. And that was a big adjustment in a really positive way for me. I really enjoyed the culture and the atmosphere of working at a startup. I really liked that there weren't as many rules <laughs> and there didn't seem to be as many set expectations and procedures. Um, I felt more comfortable just being myself personally. And I felt I was able to connect with my coworkers more easily. I think startups tend to attract certain types of people who are more you know, entrepreneurial and more interested in being part of a growing team in that dynamic environment. So that was one adjustment that I really enjoyed. With respect to supply chain in particular, I think the thing that struck me the most is that every day, not necessarily every day, but certainly every week was really different and had its own set of enormous challenges. And I felt more connected to what was happening in the world. So a few examples that come to mind are, you know, COVID happened <laughs> while I was working at Everstream. And that obviously was a big one for everyone, but to be working in supply chain during then was particularly interesting. And then Suez Canal blockage was another one where, you know, it was making headline news and people were talking about it, but to actually have it impact the work I was doing in the day-to-day -day of my job was new for me. And there are countless other examples, like the big freeze in Texas, all the wildfires. It was every week a new thing happening. And that was changing the actual work I was doing rather than it being a distraction from work. It was actually relevant to work. So that sense of just constant change was exciting. It was also challenging though, because mm. as you know, every day is is different and that can be hard. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to have the same problem to focus on for a while. And I think it's hard in supply chain. There's You're constantly reacting and constantly adjusting to what's happening in the world. And that can be tiring. Yeah, but it can also be interesting, I feel. So personally, I always see supply chain being, uh, being like a sport, right? The truth is on the field. So either you deliver and you win your match or you don't. And that's kind of it, right? So you have to overcome all challenges that that getting thrown at you. And with strategy, you can reduce the amount of challenges you might face, which is a great way of of working, right? So you you always have to balance strategy and and tactical things where you have to just react. Yeah. And I personally love that a lot. And I I think that being in a startup is very similar. What do you agree? Yeah, I do. And you have a similar experience in a way, because I know you worked at Huawei for many years and then joined DHL and then found your way to the innovation center and a more startup environment. Was that like an intentional move on your part or did that just happen by coincidence? I uh, Being in Huawei was like a startup back in the days, because when I started, there were 11 employees in Germany. So while it was a huge, big company all over the world where we were, we were not a lot of people. 
But then over time, we were able to to really grow this out into a massive business very quickly because of the products we had were very good and the price was very competitive. And I mean, everybody knows the story right now why that might, may be. But back then, everybody was really embracing it. And then the transition naturally came for me because as you experienced COVID, as you experienced the Suez Canal, I started looking at the ash cloud, the earthquake in Japan, the flood in Thailand, and then also the flood in Germany. And I already back then saw like the tremendous opportunity to make life easier by by managing risks. And that really attracted me to to work with back then one of my vendors, DHL, on that topic. So I, I kind of switched side, but yeah. I wouldn't have done it if not for supply chain risk management, because I, I'm really passionate about this. And I, I have been burned before, like so many others. So Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it's interesting. I like the metaphor that you used with with sports, I think it's a common one for work. And we'll talk more about this, but I think one of the things that gets overlooked in that discussion and comparison around a startup environment really being like a competitive sport, I think there's a great thing about that and it does facilitate growth. There's also a downside to it and it can be exhausting and it can be people need rest more. And I'm not sure that that is as understood. Yeah. Let's talk about this actually a little bit more, because at one point you personally decided to focus on your health for good reasons. Can you maybe share your story? So I, in November of 2021, got sick. It's still unclear exactly what I got sick with or how I was sick, but it was right after a new variant of COVID had emerged and I was, it was over Thanksgiving break. Both my parents got sick with COVID. And about a week later, I started to get very sick with kind of odd symptoms. And they're mostly symptoms that are associated with long COVID, although I never had COVID, but I I got really bad brain fog essentially. And it was a pretty challenging few months. I was like physically, I was unable to drive long distances. I was unable to have long conversations with people. And I was definitely unable to work. So it was a lot of limitation for me. And it was, I wasn't getting any answers medically for what was happening. So I was engaging with doctors and there was just a lot of confusion and uncertainty. And in some cases, I was getting a lot of support from doctors. In other cases, I was kind of getting dismissed by doctors and ignored, which was difficult as well. And I I used that opportunity to as you said, really focus on my health. I felt a really strong drive at the time to focus on like getting back up to full speed and getting back to work and living my life as I had been. But I just, I felt something else in me also knowing that I needed to take time and rest and take care of myself. And I made a decision at a certain point to really do that, like 100% to take care of myself and focus on getting back mentally and physically to where I needed to be. So that's what I did. I can talk more about specifically kind of the things that I did that helped me, but I am happy to say that it took about a year, maybe a little bit longer for me to get to a point where I really felt healthy again. So it was a long journey and it was, it really changed who I am and the way that I see the world and the work that I'm doing now. So it was a very transformational time in my life. If we could weave that together, the things you did in the year to your path to now being a coach for leaders. Yeah. That would be great. I think that would really help for, uh, tie everything together. Yeah, let's see if I can do this elegantly because I do think there are a lot of connections here. So I 
I focused in my time off on a few different things. A lot of it was mindfulness related. I did. I was doing a lot of yoga and meditation. I was really watching what I ate and my diet more carefully. I was treating sleep like it was a form of religion. <laughs> I was getting really focusing on sleep hygiene and getting a good night's sleep every night. And I, I was just noticing I stopped drinking as well. I, I wanted to know and really feel how I was feeling <laughs> because for a while when I was sick, I was unsure of what was wrong with me. So I wanted to get to a point where I was, I knew I was taking care of myself so that I was feeling the best that I could. And I weave that I now work in coaching and I specifically focus on coaching people in a workplace environment and people that tend to be in more stressful workplace environments. And the reason I did that is I felt that I learned so much about myself and I learned how to take care of myself in a way that I wasn't before. And I wanted to share some of the things that I learned with people. Um, and I developed almost an empathy like for myself and the things that I was doing to myself. And I wanted to give those to other people. So the way that I work with people now in coaching is trying to give leaders in businesses the support and tools and empathy that they need to have a high performance at work, but to do so in a more sustainable way. So to take care of oneself, to make healthy choices, to connect with people well and engage in their relationships. That was one of the really critical things that I learned when I was sick is the importance of relationships. And I don't think that's a lesson that someone learns until they have to. It took me getting sick to realize how important it was to have friends and family and a fiance who took care of me and supported me. And when I compare that to the relationships that I have at work, you know, I think about the ways that we can better support each other at work and invest in those relationships and build stronger relationships. And I think that doesn't just mean, you know, empathy and support. It also means being honest with people and setting boundaries and accountability and making healthy choices for ourselves and for others. So hopefully that comes together for people, how the things that I learned during my time off and sickness and recovery is informing a lot of the the coaching work that I do now. No, that's very interesting. I have a follow-up question here. Cool. Connecting with people nowadays is, is getting harder because we're not in the same office anymore very often. Yep. So how would you say can, can somebody really connect well over a remote environment? That's a good question. I was, we were remote before it was cool, before COVID. <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's a replacement for in-person connection. I've learned that with a lot of the coaching that I do. You can't connect with people the same way remotely, but there are things that you can do to, to make up for it. And I think those include the great thing about connecting with people live is that it leaves room for coincidence, for casual conversation, for silence, for catching up with people, you know, not talking about an agenda. And I think recreating that virtually is possible and people don't really do it. So just setting up times where you can talk with people casually, where you're not in a meeting, you're just hanging out virtually is, is possible. I also think there's more of a need virtually for taking breaks. It's easier and more like renewing to be in meetings with people in the same place all day. 
but being on Zoom all day is exhausting, as anyone can tell you. So I think there's a balance there between making time to connect with people virtually that in a way that is unstructured, in a way that's more social, and then also giving yourself breaks and time to not be on Zoom. And then I also think, lastly, you know, there's so many great collaboration tools and ways of connecting with people virtually that isn't over Zoom and thinking about and being intentional about how people use those. So not everything needs to be a 30-minute Zoom meeting. Some things can be standalone Slack messages and coming up with like healthy habits and, and hygiene around how you use what tools I think can be helpful. And there are certain companies and cultures that just naturally know how to use different tools. And I think others that that need to be taught. Okay, we, we have talked a lot about the sport nature of supply chain and also the sport nature of a startup. All of that obviously comes with some pressure to deliver. What are the top three things you would tell others to consider when they need to reduce your stress levels in work? The first one I already mentioned, which is sleep. <laughs> I think everything in life uh, begins with sleep and ends with yeah. sleep. Building healthy habits around sleep, good sleep hygiene. I can recommend a great book called Why We Sleep by Matt Walker. And just focusing on sleep. And I, to me, the thing that people struggle with most about sleep, especially in the work context, is being able to shut off at night. You know, our brains are moving so fast that it can be hard to, to slow down and sleep requires slowing down. So thinking about it in that context, how can I slow down in the evening and distance myself from work a little bit? That would definitely be number one. Number two, I think is, is fitness in a way. Um, and fitness can mean a lot of different things, but to me, the important aspect is getting into your body, you know, feeling your body, doing something with your body. Our bodies have needs. And I think in the athletic context, we serve our body's needs. In the work context, if you use the athleticism metaphor, you know, our brains are the only muscle that we use and that that's really exhausting. So having some sort of practice outside of work that gets you into your body and feeling your body and uh, meeting your body's needs is a really helpful stress management tool. Um, and it's not one that people necessarily appreciate. One simple example that for people that aren't like athletes is to just go get a massage something like that, that helps you relieve all the stress and tension that's built up in your body. The third one I'll give, I have a few different options. I wish I could give five, but you asked for three. I'm going to say connecting with nature. For me personally, nature is really healing and it's a, it's a natural stress reliever. Uh, it's where we belong. And it's difficult in a modern environment to get out in nature sometimes. And our work usually keeps us from nature. So that can just be going for a walk. It's a really good one to do in the middle of the day as well. So just scheduling some free time on your calendar and going for a 15 or 20 minute walk can totally change your day and really be a good stress reliever. So that would be the third tip I give. I do a 30 minute walk after work every day. And nice. it's direct because nature is very close to where I live as well. I have like fields and a small river. I really recommend that as well. Nice. How are you sleeping these days? I, I I learned how to sleep well. The problem I have is when I wake up in the middle of the night, sleeping again and shutting my brain off then is harder than going to sleep for me because I have a good sleep hygiene going to, into sleep. Yeah. But then when I wake up and I start thinking, then it's like, it's not, not perfect. I have to still work on that. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 That's the hard one. The uh, teaching your brain to shut off sometimes can be tough. What I realized is as soon as I, I get in touch with water, it's, it's tough of me to switch off my brain, which is weird. I cannot with explain water? that. Yeah, exactly. If I drink something or wash my hands, it's like, yeah. then it's over. Then I'm awake. And then my brain starts working. Yeah. Let's talk about an, an, a big concern for supply chain management, which is supply chain talent retention, right? We talked about yeah. the pressure there is. We see people leave after COVID and we see still like people are just leaving right now. What are things you you recommend to leaders to generate a healthy culture that makes people stay? I think culture is an interesting topic. It gets a lot of attention now. And the interesting thing about that is uh, if you think about groups that you're part of or environments that you're in that have really good cultures, they're typically not the ones that talk about culture the most. They just kind of happen naturally which is tough. It can feel like, you know, the more we try to make a good culture, the more futile it is. So here's one way I like to think about culture that maybe will be helpful, especially in the workplace. Work to me is the natural evolution in our lives of like our education. So we go to school, we, you know, learn things, we go to college, we learn more, and then we go to work. And that's where we apply what we have learned. And if you think about the culture in school, I think that extends to the workplace. And the culture in school is one of control. <laughs> you know, teachers are the ones in control. They control people. Um, it's one of external motivation. People get grades. You study because you want to get good grades. You want to go to a good college. You want to get a good job. You want to make a lot of money. So it's this whole part of our lives that's kind of imposed on us in a way by someone else. And we learn how to behave well and follow the rules. And that then becomes the culture of most workplaces. So it's this command and control culture where we tell people what to do. We set rules. <laughs> we punish people who don't follow them. We motivate people with money and people's search for approval. And the problem with that is it results in a really lousy culture. People don't feel comfortable being themselves. People don't connect with each other and have real conversations and to me, that's the core of a lot of culture problems. And again, if you think about groups that you're part of, environments that you're part of that have really good cultures, it's the opposite of that. It's where you feel like you just belong naturally, where you feel like you can be yourself, where you feel like you're inherently interested and want to be somewhere and want to show up. And that distinction between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation, I think is at the core of a lot of culture problems and a lot of the talent retention problems, the more people feel like they're not in control and they don't have autonomy over their decisions, the less likely they are to work as hard, think as hard, be as creative, overcome challenges, all the things that we need in supply chain management these days. Money is actually a really bad motivator for people. And I'm not sure that that's understood in the workplace. There's a lot of research around this. If you're interested in it, you can look up self-determination theory, but it's pretty well understood by psychologists that if you pay someone more to do a task, the more challenging the task gets, the more likely people are to give up early, to not work as hard. And that's because money is not a good motivator. What's a good motivator is people's inherent interests 
people are naturally problem solving, they're goal seeking, they want to grow and learn. So to me, cultures that are built around people first, that inherent motivation and figuring out what makes people what makes people tick, what makes people grow, what people are interested, and then aligning people's individual goals with the organizational goals is what that's what culture is, really. It's how do we treat our people and do we allow them and excite them and empower them to be themselves? And companies that do that well have employees that are loyal, that are motivated, that work hard, that do all the things that we want them to do just naturally, not because someone is yelling at them to do it. And again, I I want to turn the table here to you, Ulf, because I've seen your career develop and grow and change. And you find yourself in a place where you are able to be yourself. You have a really strong personality. And I think it shows through in a lot of the work that you do, which is really admirable. So I would ask you, like, does my answer resonate with you? And have you just from your own personal experience, um, do you find that true? Yeah, I think I do. I also feel that I I really have already in school never cared about other people's judgment of me. It, it never interested me at all. So for me, it was very easy to just go and do my thing. And I did the same in work. So if I thought something smart, then I just fought for it. And if if I find enough people that buy in, I will I just did it essentially. And I I, I still continue to do that today. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's always good to work on something where I intrinsically feel it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, supply chain risk management for me is a is a great passion topic, and it, it has to do with your with your topic of mental health because I do feel people are burning out because of these exceptional disruptions happening every day, all day, and. The stress reliever for me is the biggest motivation to be here and anything that I that I do tries to serve the purpose of making work and supply chain easier uh, and more fun. That's for me a big topic because I, I, met, I saw crisis being managed well, but I also have seen crisis being managed not well. And then I stood in front of a customer and get shouted at, and that wasn't a fun experience. And I want to avoid that for others as much as possible. And that's how I structure my work as well. And everybody buys into that, funnily enough. So I don't have much trouble of justification issues. And I just can, can, can help people where I think it's really needed. And that's good for me. And that's why I'm actually in the company I am. How do you make supply chain crises fun? I I do believe as long as you feel like you're in control, you are having fun. And I I, I mean, my own experience is a, there was a flood in Germany. And the same day it happened, we were called to a company of, that we worked with at the time, and they wanted to know what we how we will how we're going to solve the situation, right? And and still be able to deliver because we had a a plant that produced for Europe in in the eastern part of uh, of Europe, we needed to go over the flooded river. Mm-hmm. So I came in and said, I knew we made a map. We knew which suppliers were in the area as well that were local suppliers for that specific project. So I just called everybody up, all the suppliers, and said, make a photo of your plant and show me if it's flooded or not. And then they gave me photos. And then I, I screenshotted a rerouting 
how we can reroute the material over Google. And it took us only three hours longer. So we essentially, I, I came into the meeting with eight photos and one Google screenshot, Google mm -hmm. Maps screenshot and said, okay, that's the situation. Nobody's flooded. We will get the material from them and the rerouting takes the three hours. Any questions? And they said, no. And then, then everything was fine and everybody else came in. All the other suppliers said, yeah, we have a process and within three, four weeks, we will know the situation and we'll react. And yeah, so we, we got a supplier award this, uh, this year for our great reaction to the flooding. And that was good for the company, obviously. Yeah. And it shows that the pragmatic solution and being in control and having visibility really helps you to be actionable very quickly. And that then can turn a pressure situation into fun because you you feel like you mastered it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and th that's for me really the key is if you feel like you're in control and you're driving the ship, it's it's way better than just being being in, uh, on for the ride. So yeah, yeah, that um, was really well said. Thank you for explaining that. And I think that idea of control is really central to what I'm talking about here with the idea yeah. of autonomy. You know, if we're making our own choices and we feel like we're able to make our own choices and we control our own destiny, that's when you get accountability. That's when you get people really motivated and working hard, all the things that we want. Um, and that's when people don't leave their jobs is when they feel like they're in control and they're able to make their own choices. So I think that's a really central part of, of culture as well. Can't agree more. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about a because you're you're considerably younger than I am, so you might be more in touch with this than I will ever be. Let's talk about the new talents that we need in supply chain management. We recently learned on this podcast that more people are studying supply chain management, more people are interested in supply chain management, but the the motivation on why they join companies are way different than they have been in the past. So what are practices you think leaders should establish to communicate and cater better to the young generation? I love this question. And to answer it, I want to start by saying we make a big deal out of generational differences. And I think that there are generational differences. But I also think that people really haven't changed for a long time. I think we have a lot more in common than different I think what's changed is like the world around us. And that's what shapes differences in generations. So when we talk about millennials or Gen Z, I think that the people are the same. What's different is the environment that we're in. And with respect to the workplace and attracting talent, what's changed is how easy it is to get a new job. You know, it's, it's a lot easier than it used to be. And it's a lot less stigmatized. So people are more comfortable changing jobs more quickly. And that's just made the competition for talent a lot more intense. So I don't think that personally, there's necessarily anything particularly different about a 25-year-old than a 45-year-old today, or I should say a 25-year-old today than a 25-year-old 20 years ago. I think that the environment is different. That being said, I will answer your question because it's a good one. What, what people can do to communicate better with younger talent. I read a report of like the great resignation and the number one thing that caused people to leave their jobs was listed as uh, feedback that goes unheard. 
So people are giving feedback and it's not being listened to. And that was just perfect to me because feedback is about communication and people in positions of power in particular, listening to people who are not in positions of power. So I talk a lot about feedback with people. I think feedback is really important and it's generally the quality of feedback in workplaces is not very high. So my first answer is, you know, give and receive feedback well. Practice feedback, which is a conversation for another day maybe because that's a that's a meaty topic. Um, feedback is hard, but the most simple thing I can say about feedback right now is, you know, ask people their opinions, ask younger people what they want, ask them what they need, ask what they're struggling with, and then listen to the answer. And listening doesn't mean you have to say, okay, sure, I'll, I'll go do that. You don't need to incorporate every piece of feedback that you get into your life. But if you don't incorporate it, just explain to someone why. People are reasonable. And if you listen to people and they know you're really listening to them and then give a thoughtful response, even if you're not agreeing to whatever requests they might have, they're going to feel a lot better. They're going to feel like they're part of the decision-making process. They're being heard. And that's all anyone wants of any age is to be listened to. So practicing listening skills and receiving feedback well, I think is a really important part of attracting talent and particularly young talent. The second piece of communication I'll talk about is meetings. Meetings are such a big part of work and how we meet is a big part of how we live. Um, first of all, people have way too many meetings. I think that's common knowledge at this point. Um, so trying to reduce the number of meetings and especially in a remote environment, when we're on Zoom all day, uh, meetings get tiring and tough. Another good principle for meetings is that if someone is in a meeting, they should be involved in the meeting. They should be an active participant in the meeting. And I can't tell you how many meetings I sat through in my 20s where I was just a fly on the wall and I wasn't, no one asked me to talk, no one asked me my opinion. Um, and that's just, it makes you feel like bad. It makes you feel uh, not involved. Like, you know, why am I here? So involving people at younger ages in their career. And again, like this doesn't mean that the 25-year-old, you know, two years out of college needs to be making every decision, but it just means getting them in the mix, getting them involved. It's the best way to learn. Um, so when it comes to meetings, very often younger people are passive participants and making them active. In every, if someone is in a meeting, they should participate in it is a good rule of thumb. And I'll make one last comment on communication. Decision-making how decisions get made in organizations, I think is very interesting. Um, and then how decisions get communicated. And this is related to feedback in a way, but just more concrete, more concretely focusing on decisions. People make decisions that impact younger people. Returning to office is a good example that everyone's thinking about right now. You know, the way that decision gets made is by like two or three people whimsically deciding what's best for the business and, you know, impacting the lives of thousands of people. And that's a really bad way of making decisions and treating talent. Involve people in decisions that impact their lives. And that's a lot of decisions at work. <laughs> um, so start with the ones that feel the, like the easiest. And involving someone in decision-making doesn't mean they get a vote necessarily, although maybe they should, but it just means asking them what their opinion is, asking what they would do if they were the decision-maker, You know, get information from them. The younger talent is often the people that are closest to the problems, closest to the work being done, closest to the customers, closest to the value being delivered, closest to the product. They have the most information. So they should be at least involved in important decision-making, um, if not 
making important decisions. Yeah. Great. Okay. In the past, you were a big data and analytics person, as I vividly remember. How do you use data and analytics today in your coaching? If I had to give a really short answer, I would say I don't. <laughs> okay. If I could give a slightly longer answer, I would say I, I still do a little bit, but it's a lot more limited. Um, I believe in like surveying, collecting data, collecting people's opinions is there's a place for that and it's valuable. Um, but it tells a pretty limited part of the story. And I think there's a lot more information that one can get from uh, conversations with people. The value of data is it's faster. Um, so I still use it in larger like populations uh, for doing like a pulse survey of engagement, things like that. I think collecting data is helpful, but if I could, I would much rather have a conversation with all of those people and understand how they're feeling and, you know, summarize that. Um, so there's a place for data, but to me, it's, it plays a much smaller role in my life now. Wow. Quite a pivot. Okay. I know. I, love I it. know. I know. I'm still, I'm not the Excel master that you, that you once knew and loved, Ulf, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but no, I still know my way around a spreadsheet. I still, I still know how to operate. Yeah. But the question is if you need it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Last question. Um, and it's a simple one, but maybe also complex. What has your passion for fishing, coaching and supply chain management in common? This is obviously my favorite question that you've asked, Ulf. <laughs> to me, the, the thing that ties those three very different things in my brain together is the idea of patience. Fishing is a sport of patience. Nothing happens for long periods of time. And then there's a brief moment of excitement. Um, and fishing is all about the waiting, the in-between times. <laughs> and all the things that can go wrong during those periods. Your hook gets snagged, your knot breaks, um, especially fly fishing. There's a million things that can go wrong and only one thing that can go right. Um, coaching is also in a way a, a game of patience. Coaching is really all about growth and personal growth. And that doesn't happen all that often, to be honest with you. So coaching is about creating a good environment for people and then allowing growth to happen naturally. Um, and that can, it can be, it can take a long time for growth to happen for people. So it's all about being ready when the moment is right. And supply chain management, there's less patience in that because it's more, the interruptions are more frequent, <laughs> um, but it's still, what it brings up for me is that there's still these brief moments of action. You know, there's, Uh, a COVID outbreak, there's a winter storm, there's a hurricane, there's a moment of chaos. Uh, and then the in-between period, you're kind of waiting and you're preparing. And all three of these, fishing, coaching, and supply chain management is about how well you can keep your process, how well you can stay calm, how well you can focus. And lastly, and most importantly, how much joy you can find in that process of just showing up and being there and paying attention and doing your best. Um, so patience. 
Patience, yeah. You need a lot of patience also for doing supply chain strategy because you often get interrupted by other things, right? As we, as you just talked about. So strategic yeah. moves, not so easy in supply chain management. You need a lot of patience to make sure that at the end you get there. Yeah. Okay. So Sam, I hope you enjoyed the experience. I thank you so much for being here. Thank you all. This was great. I hope, uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed hearing a little bit from you and, and your story. So thanks for the time and thank you for having me on. No, it was great. And I hope everybody enjoyed it. And for now, we want to say bye-bye. Bye-bye. This was Supply Chain Pioneers. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you are enjoying this podcast. You can find Supply Chain Pioneers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all other major podcast players, as well as on YouTube at Ulf Talk Supply Chain. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. See you next time.